Certified, the autobiography of David Harris. Written by David and Helen Harris. Read by James Pollack. For more information on the book, go to certifiedthebook.com. Chapter 14. With day after day of long and lonely strict routine, I believe what they say. The change is as good as a holiday. Within a few months, that change happened when I was moved to Barwon Prison, a newly built complex near Geelong. This was completely different from Pentridge. Clean, spacious and no rats. Not ones with tails, anyhow. I spent my days playing table tennis and working in the metal fabrication shop. Though it was better than Pentridge, it was still prison and I was keen to get out. The problem was that I needed to prove I was trying to go straight. Deep down inside me I still yearned for change. I felt like a freak. I didn't fit. I heard about a three-month intensive rehabilitation program. This seemed like the answer so I spoke out to the men I connected with in prison. The rehab was run back at Pentridge in the maximum security Jika Jika section. So back I went to Pentridge again. I joined about 16 other guys for daily group work, dealing with the issues unresolved in our past. These sessions were facilitated by a sharp psychologist who could see through the lies that prisoners typically spin. In the groups we got down to the real issues that were giving us grief. I was surprised to hear how many guys, like me, were estranged from their fathers. So many men were both absent fathers and had absent fathers. I learned that the cycle of fatherlessness is like a soil full of toxic weeds and seed. Whenever good fruit is desired in a life that contains such soil, the weeds of rejections, shame, rebellion and abandonment suffocate the intended good. We were all driven by a deep, hidden pain. Father figures are important for boys to develop a strong sense of themselves, that they are okay, that they have what it takes. As boys move through their teenage years, They need father figures to show them how to relate to women in a healthy and respectful way. It is healthy relationships with older men that help to affirm what it is to be a responsible man. All this made sense to me, helping me understand why I was always trying to prove myself and why I was awkward with girls. Talking about needs and feelings was a new experience for most of us. We were being open and honest about our hurts and disappointments for the first time in our lives. When we weren't in a group session, we played tennis. While I was making progress getting off drugs and learning about the needs that drew me to drugs in the first place, plenty of other guys were busy scheming crimes on a scale I couldn't even contemplate. There was talk of multi-million dollar white-collar crimes. I did not want this type of life. I wanted to be free. As I lay back on my bed in the cell that had become home, I thought back over the previous few months. I found myself remembering the amazing experience I had with God back in Hay. I was so glad we had not killed that drug dealer. I could no longer deny the existence of God. What had happened to me had been very real. I would defend God when those around me put him on the stand. But I would tell them I'm not a Christian's little toe. I believed it. I'd known it. But I could not live it. I felt separated from Jesus. I was caught off guard one day when I came across a Salvation Army officer who was visiting Jika Jika. Larry Edwards was sitting on the couch in a communal lounge inside the prison. He started chatting to a couple of the guys in the room and I joined in. He asked us if he could show us something. I watched and listened. He did a little presentation where he ripped up a sheet of paper. It was a simple presentation that had a profound impact on me. He unfolded the ripped page. He gently arranged it to make a cross. 
the symbol that I did not know if I should run to or from. He chatted and arranged the ripped page another way, spelling the word hell. Something stirred inside me. I was impressed with his skill and figured this guy really did know God. Even though I'd tried and failed to be a Christian, I felt compelled to talk further with him. I explained that I believed, but just couldn't manage to live a good life. That didn't seem to bother Larry. In fact, he seemed really encouraged by the story I told him and the desire I had to try and work things out. He bought his wife, Sharon, the next time he came to visit. Each week, I hung out with Larry and Sharon as they came as chaplains to the prison. We would get three chairs and they would sit and sing their songs in the corridor of Jica. Every week, they encouraged me to follow Jesus. I would literally sweat my way through each meeting as I felt like my heart was turning back to God. Once the rehab program was over, Larry helped me get transferred to Durangol Prison Farm, which was a minimum security facility near Murchison in north-central Victoria. Prisoners are sent to Durangol Prison in preparation for parole. I arrived on a prison bus, and as I got off, two inmates greeted me. They had arranged for me to stay in their unit, to work in their area and share their drugs. I was stoned before I could get to my room. The prison farm was like a resort compared to normal prison life. There were no fences, no lockdowns. We were there on trust. While I never tried to leave without permission, my friends and I took advantage of the lax security to keep up a steady marijuana habit. I was stoned most days. The prison operated as a commercial farm and included a piggery and a series of long low sheds where chickens were kept in tiny cages. The sheds were hot, noisy, dusty and stank to high heaven. The first job at Durangol was assisting the maintenance guy. Once he was paroled, I was put in charge of maintenance. In time, I was put in charge of all the chicken-related operations. Being in charge meant I got my own unit on the property. We were given a lot of freedom which was matched to responsibility in preparation for our release date. Twenty months after my arrest in the flat in Collingwood, I was paroled from the farm. Captain Larry had organised for me to go straight into a drug rehab in Box Hill in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. But I decided I didn't want to be rehabilitated just yet. So I arranged with my parole officer to stay in Collingwood. Soon after my release, Larry dropped into the rehab centre to visit, only to find I wasn't staying there. He got in touch with the parole board and found out where I was. He came to visit me and threatened to get my parole revoked if I didn't agree to move to the rehab centre. Larry was liked and respected in the corrections department. It was likely that he had enough influence to make good his threat, so I moved into the rehab. Soon, Larry was badgering me to come to church with him. I went with him to Ringwood Salvation Army. It was a traditional Salvo church with a brass band, tambourines and women in funny hats. I felt uneasy being in a church full of blue uniforms. I'd left the prison uniforms and now church had them. I sat through the service to keep Larry happy, just in case he was tempted to pull some strings with the parole board and get me sent back to Bowen. I did not get into the service too much, but I was present. The following week, the church service started the same way, everyone singing while the band puffed into their horns and the women at the front banged and waved their tambourines. I joined in half-heartedly, showing enough interest to make Larry think I was at least a little sincere. After all the regular announcements, prayers and readings, a guy got up to preach. I settled back into my seat, hoping he would be quick so I could duck out for a smoke. The preacher opened with a description of sin. I knew all about that. I was probably the worst sinner in the room. So what? But he went on to describe sin's effects. 
the pain and the suffering it causes people, how people's hard work, their hopes and their hearts can be shattered by another person's selfish acts. I began to shift in my seat. My life had left the trail of destruction. I had stolen, lied, abused and beaten my way through life so far. The preacher went on to talk about God's view of it all. He loved the people who were hurt by sin, like they were his own kids. I imagined how I'd feel if someone had committed all the sins I had against my kids. Now I was feeling really bad. I fully expected the preacher to go on and say how angry God was with sinners. I was almost bracing myself as I would in court, waiting for the judge to tell the whole room I was a miserable example of a man and deserved all the punishment coming to me. Yet, the preacher went on to describe how much God loved us, in spite of how much we'd done to provoke him. He described how we were each lost. We were lost in the depths of sin, and God was willing to go to any lengths to see that justice was done. Yet, take mercy on us at the same time. We could find our answer in him. The preacher described all the things we'd done to harm one another as a debt. I knew all about debt. Most drug dealers do. When a user owes you money for drugs, you lean on them to make them pay. If they don't pay up, you make sure things get nasty for them. Yet God was willing to offer his son to pay my debt. He was willing to go through all that agony because he loved me enough to make a way for me to be forgiven. I could not imagine why God would pay such an unbelievable price to forgive me. I could feel my stomach nodding up with emotion. The more I thought about all the pain and loss I'd caused, the more I felt guilty and ashamed. Yet, at the same time, God was reaching out to me, showing compassion and inviting me to accept his forgiveness. The emotion rose in my chest, like pressure building inside a boiler. The preacher seemed to be finished. The music started to play and the people around me were standing up to sing. The preacher broke in before the song began. In a quiet tone, he shared that he could sense God speaking personally to some of the people there. I knew I was one of them. I was shaking, holding the seat in front to steady myself. If God is speaking to you, slip out of your seat while we sing. Come down and make your peace with God. The preacher offered. The singing began. Inside me the dam burst. I ran to the front, tears streaming down my face. I knelt at the mercy seat, sobbing. I'm so sorry. Over and over. For the first time I could see how much I'd hurt so many people. At the same time I could feel waves of love and forgiveness washing over me like warm water. While I'd experienced the love of Jesus at Bomber's Place, I'd never really been broken hearted over my sin. I'd never wept in repentance. I found out who Jesus was and the lights went on for me. Jesus really was God. There was no doubting that he was real and powerful. But now I was coming to terms with my own evil and brokenness and the impact of forgiveness. I must have knelt sobbing at the front of the church for a while. As I prayed, I renewed my commitment to leave my selfish way of living and to surrender my life to God. When I finally hauled myself to my feet, my body felt like a wrung-out rag and my heart felt light. I'd never felt so much at peace. Larry drove me home, overjoyed that I'd finally accepted God's love and forgiveness. He prayed for me before I got out of the car, then I went straight to bed. Without the assistance of any drugs, I fell into a deep and restful sleep. When I awoke the next morning, the light was already streaming through the window. I rummaged through my few belongings and found the Bible Larry had given me. I remembered the feelings of hope and peace the previous night, and I wanted more. I was hungry for God. 
I spent the next few days constantly reading my Bible and praying. Despite being written thousands of years before, the Bible became a rich source of hope and encouragement. It was as if God was instructing me in a new way of thinking and a new way of life. Captain Larry dropped in to visit and was pleased to see me so keen to read and pray. He invited me to come back to church the following week and tell my story. Captain Larry picked me up in time for the morning service at Ringwood Salvos. I wore a mop of long black hair, had a scruffy beard and wraparound reflective sunglasses. I did not look like those other Christians. I looked like I belonged with an outlaw biker gang. It felt good to be around those people who seemed to have things together, neat and tidy lives. I was amazed that they wanted me to speak. When it was time, I stood up and shared about my life, the drinking, the drugs, the crime and imprisonment. I shared about the involvement I had with the occult and the voices in my head and about the despair and hopelessness that led me to attempt suicide. The audience listened in silence as I spoke about my encounter with Jesus the previous week and the amazing experience of being forgiven. I didn't know what to say next. I stammered for a second and mumbled, I guess that's it. The audience sat quietly for a second, then burst into applause. While my experience of church in Ballarat had been disastrous, these people loved the fact that I was a bad guy turned good by the love of Jesus. After the service, they mobbed me with pats on the back and encouragement. During the week, I kept up my prayer and Bible reading. I was desperate to learn all that I could about Jesus and his ways. I would get up early each day, eagerly poring over the Bible, praying and reading some more. I found such a treasure of life coming from the words I read in this amazing book. I took my Bible with me everywhere. The next week, Larry took me to a different church, where I told my story again. Soon I was travelling around all the Salvation Army churches in the area, telling my story. Every time I spoke, the church responded warmly, especially when they saw me carrying my big black Bible and heard me quoting what I had learned that week. Everybody loves to hear about a life getting truly turned around. I now knew what it was to be forgiven. I was free from prison, but the greater freedom came from the forgiveness I received from God. I discovered quickly that there are two sides of forgiveness. Being forgiven is essential and releases freedom into a person's life. However, the flip side of this forgiveness I received was the fact that to be truly free, I now had to learn to forgive others. The one type of person that everyone seems to agree should be locked up for good are people who interfere with kids. In prison, pedophiles are kept separate from the general population for their own protection. Most inmates would have no hesitation in killing a pedophile if he had the chance. And I was no different. There were a couple of convicted child sex offenders at Durangal, and I had nursed thoughts of going back to the low security farm and slitting their throats. At the rehab, there were a group of pedophiles who made no secret of their preferences. Whenever they spoke, I would feel disgust and anger welling up inside me. Not long after my experience at Ringwood Salvos, I walked in on one of their conversations. As anger burned in my guts, I could hear God speaking to me. God had every reason to hate me, yet he loved me and forgave me. I could no longer hate these guys, even though I found their lives repulsive. Over the following weeks, God took me on a journey of coming to terms with the hatred and resentment I was carrying inside me. There was a long list of people against whom I carried grudges. One by one, God took me through letting go of my resentment and forgiving them. My biggest issue was my resentment towards my dad. I had felt that my dad let me down, abandoned me, and left me to rot in prison. Whenever I thought about him, the hurt feelings would return. It was a wrestle to let go and forgive, 
even though I'd experienced such generous forgiveness. One day, not long before it was time for me to leave the rehab, I felt challenged by God to call up my dad and ask his forgiveness for all the things I'd done to hurt him. This was a really hard thing to do because I believed he should have been asking me for forgiveness. I prayed a prayer of protest. That's not fair. I was only a kid and he was the one with the drinking problem. He was the one who had left us. He should go first. Even after I'd confessed all my dad's sins to God, I felt no peace. Through my Bible reading, prayer and conversations with other Christians, it became clear that no matter what my thoughts of fairness may be, this was what I had to do. God gently but firmly insisted I had to take responsibility for my wrongs against him. After a week or so of arguing with God, feeling apprehensive, I picked up the phone and dialed Dad's number. After the normal formalities of, how's it going? I came to the point, Dad, I just want to say sorry for the stuff I've done to hurt you. You what? I'm sorry for the stuff I've done to hurt you. I've let you down and I've done stupid things and I know that you must be disappointed. I'm sorry. Dad was silent for a second. It's okay, mate. I want to ask your forgiveness. Um, sure. Dad hesitated. This must have seemed really strange to him. Sure, I forgive you. We talked for a while after that and I thanked him for his letter about his discovery of a higher power and I was able to tell him a little of my experience of Jesus, the higher power. The conversation was a breakthrough for me because I'd hated him for leaving. I resented his promising to visit me in jail every week, with the intervals between visits stretching out to months and then the visits stopping altogether. Now I could see things from his side. It must have been hard for him, visiting his son, the convicted criminal, Prisons are intimidating places, and here I was, his son, locked up because I'd made stupid decisions. It must have been even more confronting to visit me in the psych ward. I could only imagine that he felt very uncomfortable. During that day, I learned that forgiving and asking forgiveness is a crucial part of healing. As I accepted what Jesus Christ did for me, that he paid the death penalty that was due to me, I discovered that I could be completely forgiven. I was made clean. I'd been completely forgiven of a very great debt, but I also discovered that Jesus requires that each of us extend forgiveness to each person we feel owes us something. Unforgiveness was only keeping me chained to the lies and hurts of the past. The only way to true freedom was to sever the chain that held me to those who had hurt and disappointed me by forgiving them. I realised forgiveness was different from trust. Forgiveness did not mean I would be back in a relationship with that person. But I had to forgive. Everyone. God had begun some intensive healing in my life. I don't believe this healing would have been possible until I'd let go of the grudges I held towards others. Especially my dad. Certified. The Autobiography of David Harris. Written by David and Helen Harris. Read by James Pollack. For more information on the book, go to certifiedthebook.com.